107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and so glad you can all join us today. I am speaking with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three house reps from the town of Brattleboro. Hello, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And also speaking with Paul Costello from the Vermont Council on Rural Development. And we will be speaking today about plans or hopes and dreams for the future of Vermont. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Paul. Thank you so much for having me, Olga, and, and Representative Kornheiser. And you are welcome to call me Emily, mostly anytime, but definitely. I will. Over I was just starting hour. formally. <laughs> <laughs> So, Paul, thank you for coming back to the show. You have, of course, been with us before. And I am feeling that what we're going to talk about today, what we're calling the Vermont Proposition, is actually an outgrowth of um, some work that the um, Vermont Council on Rural Development did in 2020 about resiliency and pandemic recovery. And uh, Susanna Davis was with us um, at the time for that interview. And I will put a link in the show show notes to that show. Um, so tell me about the summit that is coming up on May 26th and 27th that is dealing with some of these propositions and uh, mechanics that we feel we need for the state for it to, to prosper. Uh, the summit is really, you know, we're at this, we're at this, crucible point for Vermont. You know, we've come through COVID, like isn't this the greatest spring ever with the weather opening up and, and our COVID restrictions easing and our being able to get together again. We've also come through a national emergency um, with an election that was so highly disputed. We had an attack on the Capitol where there's this deep national division. We've come to a point of, um, of re-recognition of the essential progress that we need to make around race issues in this country and in Vermont. We've come through a place with COVID response where we've used science and we've managed very well, especially compared to some other states, um, just to first address COVID and then to, to deal with um, inoculations at, at a scale beyond what other states have done. Um, and we've, we followed science and science is also predicting uh, catastrophic cascading impacts from climate change that it, it's time today to address. We also look at economic doldrums that we've had and demographic challenges. And we think it's really time to get together as Vermonters and think about the big picture and how these issues weave together and don't just paralyze us or, or build the big list of problem statements, but instead project forward, what are the things we need to do in the next three to five years to be successful over the next generation and build the unity to drive those things forward. So the summit is, is following our connection with over 3000 people that we've directly asked questions about propositions in the last year and sharing a, a, a framework of test propositions that we've gotten from those people. Our best, our best ability to digest what we've heard so far and what, what we've learned from all the work that we do. And then have a deep discussion on each of those points. What makes sense? What doesn't? Are there features of each? And ultimately, um, 
engage everyone who participates to say, how would we move these forward? Which, how would we move these particular issues forward as we think towards the future? Thank you, Paul. As Emily knows about me, I always love it when things seem tangible and they have action plans and <laughs> strategies and investments. And that's, it sounds like to me, what you're hoping will come out of this summit is a definite path forward. And I want to just quickly go through, you have nine proposals, um, draft proposals at this point, they may change, but I'll just quickly go through them. Uh, High-speed broadband and cellular access for all Vermonters. Uh, Vermont must combat racism, celebrate our diversity, and welcome new Vermonters of color. Vermont must advance creative solutions to climate change. Reduce economic disparities, address poverty, and promote opportunities for prosperity for all Vermonters. Vermont must ensure all children have access to affordable quality childcare and education. Vermont must strengthen local business op, businesses, entrepreneurship, investment, workforce, and rural innovation. Um, efficiency and foresight through state planning and regional coordination. Uh, must conserve our lands and waters and advance our working landscape and renew civic engagement and strengthen trust, civility, community connection, democratic decision-making and empower new leaders. So those are no small, small tasks. <laughs> Quite bold. Well, and they, and that's like the surface of the of the waters that we've been we've been in. Behind them, um, this, we have a we have a two or three page form that describes what we've what we've gathered so far. We also have a twenty five pager that we'll be releasing to people who are coming to the summit and to the press in the next few days. That describes starting points on strategy um, for each of these. Um, and even the descriptions are, are pretty deep um, in terms of what we're talking about in, in each of these. And I'd be glad of the opportunity to go through some. Um, but I'd also love an opportunity at some point to talk about where this all comes from in some of, some of the people we've talked to already. I, unless Emily has any questions, I think that would be a great place to start. Yeah, and I, I guess my question is sort of related to that. You know, we, we talk on this show so much about the challenge of planning and the challenge of community engagement and um, the limits of town meeting, the limits of sort of the two-year election cycle for strategic mm -hmm. planning on a political level, um, how disconnected so many of our systems seem to be from each other and from the people who are impacted by them. And... So I really respect your continuing efforts to try to really look across communities and across the state to actually say, what do we need, especially at these times where so much has been revealed to so many of us that it's, as you said, a crucible moment to be stepping forward when so many of us have seen some things that perhaps we didn't see before um, or aware of needs that we weren't aware of before. And so, yeah, I would love to hear more about how how this happened and especially sort of why why you all and why this is going to be the thing that works thanks yeah well we're you know we're this the council on rural developments charged by the farm bill to be a neutral convener of public process we're 
when, when it comes to community engagement, Emily, we've probably done more community engagement than any other organization over the yeah. last 20 years. We've brought together tens of thousands of people in 150 towns, um, 75 or 80 of them with deep six month long community visit processes where we bring teams in, we listen, we help them set priorities, build their action plans. Over 400 different transformational town and city projects have come from the work. So we're all about local leadership and listening and engaging, but we're also charged to add it up. You know, what, what do we hear town to town? And we have a board that has the heads of the congressional offices and, and members of the cabinet, as well as local leaders and business leaders and federal agency heads, all thinking outside of their silos at what are the big issues that rural communities are faced with. About 12 years ago, we founded um, the, the Vermont uh, Council on the Future of Vermont, mm -hmm. which was a, a really deep analysis of the goals and values of the people of Vermont looking forward. What we didn't build was an action plan. We did, we did one of the top priorities was the working lands and we brought to the legislature uh, a platform of work around working lands that legislators turned into the working lands bill and and you're still funding for enterprise development in that sector today. And we're yeah. really grateful to you all. Um, but, but the larger picture, we didn't have the same kind of intention. After about 10 years, we started saying, is it time for another conversation at this scale? Mm -hmm. and, and some of the issues that came to a head in 2020, we've been wrestling with for years, you know, the, the loss of youth, the economic challenges of towns on the borders and in some counties um, that are where, where you're losing population and where um, it feels like the the Vermont dream is struggling. And you know we have a lot of history around what we stand for as a state, and it just feels like it's time, especially coming through COVID, but even before that, to say, you know, where's Vermont going? How do we build a deeper unity and deeper set of connection and common purpose? And so, you know, our organization sort of works, you know, in, in politics, you're often, you're, you're, you find a position on something that needs to happen and you push for it. And other people have different positions and they push for it. Our, our job is kind of like, well, what do we have at the center of things that we can agree on? Mm -hmm. And I know that in this proposition, we're going to, we're not gonna, it's not gonna be perfect. And inevitably, there's going to be things on right, left, and center that don't work for different people. But we've been well, listening hard to try and find like key points that are major agenda points that most Vermonters support. One thing that's really important to me in my um, both professional work and my political work is the idea that we can agree on ends quite easily. And the trick is to just find means that don't cancel each other out. We don't even have to agree on the means. We just need to find means that are sort of mutually um, beneficial. I, you said something about the Vermont dream yeah. and I have no idea what that means. So I would love to hear what that means to you. Uh, that's a great question. It's a little bit like the American dream. Also, but, I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure either. So I'm, yeah. I can't speak for all Americans or all yeah. Vermonters or anything like that. But you know, we have this vision of the state as a creative place that would attract all kinds of people. We have a vision that comes from this American dream notion that 
each generation does a little better than the generation before. Mm -hmm. um, we have a dream of a more perfect union that comes from people like Lincoln where, yeah, democracy is messy, but we're working together to improve and, and do better. You know, it's kind of the enlightenment ideal of progress mm -hmm. and that we have common principles around justice, around truth, you know, truth, justice, and the American way. Yes, that is a thing. That was the thing. <laughs> and we've spent 20 years questioning those things, and we still have to, um, because that's part of the process of learning and developing, you know, and, and coming together mm -hmm. and, and confronting injustice. But it feels like part of our problem nationally and internationally is the fact that we are we're driven by sound bites and memes, and we're we're polarized. I, I don't know if you saw, you saw the social dilemma um, analysis of how Facebook works, mm -hmm. but essentially the, the corporate interest behind Facebook of advertising drives logarithms that celebrate what we love in all the posts that come to us, mm -hmm. and and line politically with what they think we think and undermine dialogue and demonize people who do differ mm -hmm. and tend to build, look at the worst of the other side constantly so that we become further and further impassioned and spend more and more time looking at those posts. So, and, and all of that divides us from that feeling of mutuality. So, so I guess what I'm saying is part of the Vermont dream is, is coming together to say what we stand for in democracy and, and lining up together in some unity as a people for the future. Thank you. When you um, were developing the Vermont proposition or the draft proposition, um, how did you bring to people together across those boundaries um, yeah, to really navigate that? And who, who do you still sort of feel is lingeringly left out that you, um, I don't know, you think about in the morning, how will we get that last sort of segment of the population or? Um... Such a great question. You know, um, when Susanna and I were on the show, we were working together on uh, the local solutions part of the governor's task force for recovery. Yeah. We reached out and we, we basically interviewed 1200 people on their ideas for recovery. We did some surveying of people on needs and we did direct outreach to especially people that we felt were historically marginalized, people of color um, and other groups to do the best we could to listen and reflect to the governor who actually had charged us with that as part of our work. Um, VCRD then at the end of that process was also, we, we also started a process where we set up some starting interviews and we met with all of governor, all the former governors of the state. We reached out to uh, young people of color and business leaders and some of the diversity of Vermont to, to sort of get their sense of what would be propositions that we should start with. And so we started to draft based on that. Then we set up meetings with probably 500 people in group sessions where we interviewed um, you know, an immigrant group or a group of business leaders or, and, and try to deeply listen to the different voices in Vermont. Um, and then we put out 
the draft set of propositions for uh, people to write their own propositions, to mm -hmm. say whether they agreed with them or not, to um, suggest tactics. And we ended up with 400 pages of dense notes with basically 20 new propositions or suggestions to change them per page. Incredibly deep, rich stuff. I mean, we had no idea we would see that much involvement. Um, and so we digested all those into the next- Who digested it? I'm like, maybe I'm being too much of a, you know, going back to my research. Yeah, three, three of us on of staff questions. read every word. And then we had a steering committee that reflected with us, but okay. we read every word and we highlighted and marked, and then we went back as we adjusted. So it was a, a deep process. Um, in terms of groups that we that are still um, underrepresented, I think that the summit is a, is, you know, is a good test of that. You know, we, we reached out to a lot of um, voices of, of people who've moved to Vermont in the last few years. We've reached out to younger people. We've reached out to people of color. Um, we've reached out to business leaders. We're pretty close with state and federal officials, so we kind of hear from yeah. them pretty regularly. And community leaders around the state um, who we're pretty close to as well, and, and they're sort of networked with us. Um, but we're not at all complacent about re historic, re reaching out to historically marginalized people. We're, you know, when you're engaging communities, you know, you, you can never be satisfied that you've done enough to reach out to lower income people, people mm -hmm. who have less confidence, and sometimes people who are less liberal. When you think about who, who likes to come to community meetings and who feels optimistic about the community engaging together in collective action, it's usually more liberal people who come to those meetings. More conservative people um, tend to, to uh, you know, be a little more interested in privacy than, than that kind of engagement. Um, we deeply respect people, you know, we respect all Vermonters and, and the diversity of opinions that are out there. So we, we want to reach out to, um, to conservatives as well as liberals and um, people who've been here 10 generations as well as people who moved here last week. Um, all are important to the, the story uh, that comes from this process. Mm, I think, um, you know, being a state representative and spending so much time with my colleagues who represent such smaller towns than I do, um, I feel very aware of how in smaller towns with um, long histories of town meeting, people tend to turn out really across class and culture lines much more so than they do in Brattleboro, where the bulk of our community engagement is really held by a very small number of people hmm. who um, don't necessarily represent the general lived experience of the rest of our community. And it's, um, at least in Brattleboro, I see it's poor white people who are mostly just completely disconnected from so many of those community conversations and disconnected from our downtown. And so I'm, that's, how to have those conversations is something that I'm, you know, constantly swirling with. And I've seen you all do such a good job of that on your community visits when you're visiting the smaller towns. Um, and so I'm always like looking for those lessons learned and curious about how you're gonna get all of those folks to this summit that's coming up. Uh, we're, we're reaching out to people really broadly and, <clears throat> and, and we know it's imperfect. Um, yeah. 
And I don't mean it as a criticism. No, no, I really okay. mean it as like a let's figure. I this is a question I'm desperate to figure out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think sometimes you can't just expect people to come to you. Um, you, sometimes you have to go to them too. And I, I think that the summit is a stage in this process, but it's not the whole of it. You know, we've had, you know, 50 meetings before the summit and we're going to continue to meet and outreach after the summit. Mm -hmm. And these issues of economic disparity are at the center of the proposition, you know, that yeah. we're really looking at a historic point. Um, you know, during COVID, people who had great stock portfolios did fine. A lot of international corporations did fine, and and the those who um, struggle with poverty, with issues of poverty, were often the ones that were hardest hit, and they were often the ones on the front lines, and they're the mm -hmm. ones that, you know, and this is, is especially true of people of color, mm -hmm. and and so, you know, we're we're very dedicated to systematically advancing. Um, work to to outreach to those people um, and sometimes it means going to them so in some of our community visit processes we have special sessions where we go to a certain place we go to a mobile home park we go to somewhere else it's similar with with teenagers uh, they tend to you know their job is to question authority not be part of the bourgeoisie you know and so they tend not to want to come to an evening meeting with adults <laughs> some will some some creative and confident kids will but we find you also have to go to the high school and you have to go where they are and, mm -hmm. and seek their input directly because they're a crucial voice. So this is a, this, the summit is a day, but it's a day in a longer, uh, longer train of work. And I'm always curious, Paul, too, uh, along the lines of gathering community input, you know, not everyone is comfortable standing up in a meeting and saying, this is what I think, or this is what I believe. Do you have, with that in mind, do you have multiple ways people can give feedback? We, we do. We have on the, on the website, futureofvermont.org, there is that survey, which is still live, and people can write their own idea for what a proposition should be. Um, we're, we're, we're constantly uh, updating and checking that stuff. Uh, so we'd love to hear from people that way. Um, I think there's opportunities at the summit for people to be writing at the same time. I, I to tell you the truth, I don't know exactly how that's gonna work, but we, we're constantly doing that in community work now as well. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll have opportunities to take input after the fact of the summit too. Um, Do you happen to have like a, a, a mailbox set up? So if someone doesn't like writing, um, they could leave a voicemail or something like that? Uh, there is a place on the website where people can call and, and leave messages for sure. Really? That's yeah. cool. I love that. There was a column in the Brattleboro Reformer when I first moved to Vermont 20 plus years ago that you could call in and leave a message. It was called talk, speak out. Yeah. And they would just print whatever people left on the answering machine. Yeah, ours is more- It was the most mind. amazing <laughs> thing. And there would be these like massive, gorgeous friend porch forum style arguments that would all just be printed in this one column in the paper. It was so strange. Yeah, that's cool. We've also yeah. been working with uh, the Rutland Herald Times Argus and we've had a 12 part series going covering each of the propositions and an introduction and closure and people are sending letters to the 
the Times Argus and Herald to reflect on anyone that they want to. Um, and so we've, we've gotten some feedback there, not as much as we would hope. Um, there's also a 12-part TV series that GNAT has been uh, filming out of uh, Bennington with Andrew McKeever as the host. And basically we've been bringing panels in of people to talk about each of the propositions in advance of the summit and you know have have dialogues around you know both so that it's not all vcrd it's it's lots of people reflecting on these topics and how they could work and, and move forward mm -hmm. we have just about five minutes before we need to go to break and hear from some of our underwriters but i'm curious to hear from you paul Despite the fact that you have been doing this type of community outreach and planning work for, for quite some time, in this Vermont proposition phase of your work, what have you learned about the state or learned from Vermonters that just surprised you or is, or is really kind of sticking with you right now? What a great question, Olga. That's a, that's a ponderer. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess... You know, one of the things that struck me in this process is we've, we've come to call this the Vermont proposition in singular, because you think about climate change and racial justice and childcare and housing, and we often put them in their little boxes and start to think tactically mm -hmm. about them mm -hmm. instead of in line with the fact that the way that they connect with human beings and where we're going are all woven together. Yeah. And, and so we think that it's that it's useful to think at large, especially at this moment coming out of COVID and with federal money coming and so forth, about how we move them all forward and how we um, how we put a lever in this. And and so we've really tried to go from everything to what are the lever points for the next three to five years that we all ought to concentrate in across, like the way. Uh, Emily put it, um, sort of those ends we agree on. And we know this isn't the, the tactics in the legislature, though we will be encouraging these, these directions with legislators, um, but to have some common ground. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Paul. Stay tuned, the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro. second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I'm your host, Olga Peters, and I'm speaking with regular contributor, Representative Emily Kornheiser and Paul Costello of the Vermont. I always do Council. this. I like freeze on the name Vermont Council on Rural Development. Mm -hmm. Whew, thank you. Sorry about that, Paul. And we are talking about the Vermont proposition, which ideally will be a unified vision for Vermont for the next three to five years to really start pulling some of the levers we need to pull in our communities. So we have a Vermont that works for everybody. Um, Emily, during the break, you asked a question of Paul that I think for listeners who are tuning in now would be really good to, to hear about, you know, action plans and what is yeah. actionable. So, I'm really curious to talk about how to make 
these big ideas actionable. And I think a big part of that, um, but not the only part of that, is how do we get these ideas to not just be owned by VCRD, but to be owned by all of us? Yeah, so there's a, a lot in that question for me because we've been thinking about all of that for two years. Yeah. The, um, the ownership thing starts with the fact that we've been listening to people from for 20 years and we're in touch with you know tens of thousands of them still and for us we'll be reflecting what we find back to all those people um and to the 3,000 that have contributed their ideas uh in the last year to this process we're coming into the summit and we're going to do a couple of things in terms of partnership to move this forward. When we built the Working Landscape Council to develop Act 142 a few years ago, we finished the work of the Policy Council with a platform of ideas, and then we put together a political action group, a nonprofit, a nonpartisan group whose job was to take this work to the legislature, take it to the press, share it, uh, promote it, and then ultimately push push for state dollars to drive in to support local enterprises. We still manage that coalition. Um, we never criticize anyone. We never, we never get into debates to say people are wrong. We are always positive and aspirational. And the program has never ma really made enemies in the legislature. Everyone sort of knows working lands is important and good. So always a question of how much we can invest in it. Mm -hmm. So we're planning to do that. We're, we're going to allow people from the summit to sign on as partners to drive this work forward. The Vermont Working Lands Partnership has over a thousand partners now who are dedicated to supporting farm and forest operations as a foundation for productive and conserved landscape of the future. And we're going to be looking to build a major partnership. This is a movement, not a study. And mm -hmm. it's designed to go to action on each of these different propositions probably not all at once. Some are gonna have more low hanging fruit. Some of them are geared towards particular action that connects with the legislature, but the world doesn't really revolve around Montpelier. Different towns are gonna to be working on different aspects of this work. There are energy committees and climate action committees and Absolutely. climate economy committees all over the state that will be working on this. There'll be social justice advocates that will see themselves included. There'll be businesses that are doing innovative work that. Um, are at the forefront of a number of these propositions. So for us, it's, it's a larger coalition of people who, um, who stand for a set of principal directions. Let's, let me confront one thing. You know, we feel um, a lot of humility around this work. You know, it's, it's so grandiose. We're building an architecture for the future of Vermont and all that. Um, and we recognize in some ways that's preposterous. On the other hand, we do need to come together around some key directions. And so having the conversation and having the foil of the propositions gives us a, a set of starting points for thinking big and it can get corrected and the legislators are gonna have their own view of it. The governor's office will have their own view and that's that's fine, but we, we think it will help to spur, spur different kinds of action. Some are things, you, yeah, sorry. Are you, um planning to sort of offer continuing, I don't want to use the phrase technical assistance, but sort of coaching to people who want to 
engage in moving this work forward. I think about all the support that you all offer to energy committees and that you started offering to the mutual aid networks during the pandemic. And I think about, I've been in touch with so many racial justice organizations around our county mm -hmm. who are really desperate for support um, in their work, just as a small example, and don't sort of have that same um, overlayer of convening. So I'm curious about- We're gonna build a board that will be called, we call the Future of Vermont Action Team. And it will be geared for three different things. Okay. One will be for nonpartisan, proactive policy lobbying. Mm -hmm. Another will be looking at each of the propositions and saying, should we be convening stakeholders to move this forward? Who needs help and support? Mm -hmm. we, when we pull people together, it's like the work in COVID response. We often don't think we know better than the people we convene. We're bringing mm -hmm. together people on the ground who are doing really creative things, share them, help build and, protocols. And teach each other, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so much collective wisdom. You don't have to be a top-down expert to be useful. Mm -hmm. So we're, we try to do that. And then, and then the, the third part is um, we're going to do some of it ourselves with partners. So when you think about that, the broadband one, um, and one other thing we're going to do is, is celebrate the heck out of all everyone doing good work around these things. It's like there's there's a legislative bill that would build a state planning office, mm -hmm. and we're going to be celebrating that and raising its profile. There's great work going on. It still hasn't quite gestated between the communication union districts, the private sector, the electric companies, and so forth around driving last mile broadband, mm -hmm. but it is gelling. It's close, yeah. It's close the dollars are going to have a tremendous leverage for the future. And so that part probably doesn't need us. We can celebrate it and, and, you know, uh, and praise all the partners who are doing great work um, mm -hmm. to move that forward. But with that, when you read that full proposition, you'll see there's two sides to the work that aren't in there. And one is that, that there's a danger in the rollout of, digital economy stuff if we don't advance ways to to drive local sales mm -hmm. if we don't systemically set up systems so that we're using it to connect to local farmers for local foods to artists in the arts community to the to businesses on the main street and making them just as accessible to us as as something in google and it's or you know or something that we're buying from far away Absolutely. So that's one side of the work that we're pulling partners together around already. And on the other side, how do we look at how we use digital tools for civic engagement in positive ways that bring us together and get us out of the bubbles of animosity that mm -hmm. Facebook and other algorithms produced by international corporations have done to us. So we're looking at that too, and we're bringing partners together to look at, you know, from Front Porch Forum to the Arts Council and Department of Libraries. How do we work together to expand the best use of digital culture for Vermont ends rather than just have it happen to us? And, and so we, we're, for each of these propositions, we're looking at a level of articulation of what are some of the fundamental ramifications to this that we need to be thinking about as well, nice. and that we have some common power to move forward. One thing I've been really um, struck with and has come up a few times on the show in the last month on the issue of civic engagement and sort of digital citizenry um, 
you know, there's, I have a number of colleagues who started their legislative career during the pandemic. And so ran for office without having much in-person engagement with people and then are serving with folks that they've never met in real life. Wow. And what's been really interesting to me is that they entered in the midst of, you know, some of them, probably the most divisive political, divisive political rhetoric we've ever seen in this country. And the Vermont legislature is really shockingly nonpartisan most of the time, um, especially in the committee room. And mm. what I've seen is that it's the, the level of sort of social and cultural norming and implicit communication that's required to help these new folks understand that we actually do better when we don't engage with the political divisiveness and the grandstanding and the soapboxing and all of that, that we see so many other places, because for them, that's what politics was when they came into it. Mm. Um, and so that's been a really interesting journey and I'm looking forward to seeing how, um, how we can evolve from yeah. what they entered in. And because it is, it's really, when we aren't seeing each other, when we're not making eye contact and when we're not really engaging in mutual projects, it's so hard. Boy, that's such a great observation. You know, it, it's like attacking someone else is not the best way to build partnership to get things done. And uh, so how do, you, how do you reach out to find that thread between you that where you have mutuality <laughs> and that you could build the partnership to get something more systemic and better maybe even yeah. done? I think as Vermonters, though, we're feeling such profound existential threat about our own lives right now, about our economic well-being, about our physical health. And so when we're all under threat in this way, I think it's really hard for some of us to even find the time to engage socially and culturally and politically. Um, and then above that, the sort of patience mm -hmm. to do it. And so I'm, when I think about all of your levers, um, I always sort of go back and forth between like, until we make sure everyone's making a living wage. I'm not actually sure what else we can accomplish. And then saying, we'll never get to a point where we can make a living wage until we accomplish all these other things. And so- Well, you can't just do one thing. No. And as a legislator, you yes. know how complex it is. Yeah. There's so much going on at any one time. And that's natural. To me, we're at this point, like the fact that it this, it, this sunny spring weather that we're getting, how that is lifting people up opening mm -hmm. people's hearts i think that is like this is the greatest spring in a hundred years because we're coming out we're in covid spring too and the freedom that we're starting to feel and the openness around that and then the sense that we have a lot to be proud of and a lot of you know there's lots of opportunities for working together in progress and that's sort of what we're celebrating with the summit um we feel that we're coming into this time of tremendous potential momentum and it you know when you think about change and the toughness of changes it often does spring from that existential challenge mm -hmm. you know the greatest generation was partly made great by the the challenge of of the the depression and then world war ii and we're you know not to compare but we're looking at a similar threat that says you know line up think bigger partner work together it also says and you know i i get preachy but you know a lot of the things that we 
have become very divided over like what does patriotism mean or you know what are, what are the principles on which this country was founded or what do we stand for in terms of the constitution all those kinds of things that we have um that have become dividing lines some of that stuff we've got to let go um and we've got to we've got to be bigger than than the than the spear point of negativity around it and say you know who's a vermonter well anyone who wants to be in vermont god love them we we want them here what you know what is democracy you know how do we advance democracy together um what how do we commit together in for our communities how do we make justice real and those are questions that are fundamental to um an identity that in some ways can can bridge between people especially if we listen so and it, i think especially when we're practical about them so we can have these sort of massive disconnects when we think about abstract ideas of justice and vengeance and restoration but if we're really talking about like what do we want the experience of each of these people to be who are engaging with these things i think it's much easier to move beyond that divisiveness mm -hmm. I agree. I also think that that the whole thing of practicality and tactics, like sometimes we get too tactical. Um, we're really interested in culture change as well as legislative change mm -hmm. that our understanding of each other is essential to the change that we need for the future too. And so a lot of the discussion in the propositions is, is to sort of build a, a, a table together that we all sit around and every, nobody's going to believe every single thing is crucial but coming together in democracy and saying that you stand for similar things culturally builds an authorizing environment that supports um, gubernatorial legislative action action by businesses and community groups and and says yeah this is part of where we're going and so we're we're modest enough to know that that's not our table but we want to contribute and and so so there's just a lot of a lot of hope behind what we're trying to do. And it's really um, I'm so glad to be hearing this conversation, because one thing I just want to name and put out there that I am seeing when I'm uh, out and about and and covering uh, events for the community. I'm finding a tendency that I actually find really concerning, which is and I'll just pick on fellow reporters because that's my industry. Like I will hear um, a commentator talk about something the legislature's doing like, oh, you're not giving Wyndham County enough money. Let's just say that. And then some money comes to Wyndham County and well, that's too much money. It's not gonna be used well. And there's this tendency to just be oppositional and, and to say, I, you know, I have no common ground with this organization or this group of people or this movement or whatever. And so anything that is done is wrong. And I'm, I'm picking on, like I said, fellow journalists now, but it's not, journalism isn't the only place I'm seeing this. I'm seeing it in community conversations. I'm seeing it um, in social media. I'm seeing it a lot of places. And I just wanna bring it up because for all of us to remember if we want to all sit at the table, 
we have to be willing to um, let some of that opposition tendencies, just as Paul said, there are some things we just have to let go. And we, at times, we may actually have to actively look for common ground, um, even if we're not sure it's there to begin with. Um, so I, I just think, wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when done well, and I'm sure that the summit is going to do this well, it offers us opportunities to exercise those muscles and to practice those skills and to... Um, and gives us tools in practicing those things to, you know, um, appreciative inquiry is sort of one frame that gets floated around and it can be used as a way of quelling all dissent. And it also is this incredible opportunity for people to build on ideas collaboratively while validating each other and each other's opportunities for meaning making. And I think that so much of what you all have done through this process is that sort of collaborative building up rather than the knocking down. And I appreciate that so much. Mm -hmm. Well, we try. Um, we, we also recognize that advocacy on all sides is really important in a democracy and that you know, we're not trying to stifle dissent. Um, but there is this, you know, this you, listening really requires you to set some of your, you can't be right all the time about everything and really be a good listener. You have to say, yeah, I know where I stand on this issue, but I really want to learn and understand what other people are thinking. And I, I also want to reach out and learn from people who are different from me. Mm -hmm. And I also want to welcome people who are different from me to be part of this community and this conversation so that we have a richer experience and people, you know, that we build a deeper sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of getting back to that Vermont, you know, what's the Vermont dream? It's like, I think right now people are, are wrestling with how do we belong together? You know, um, even in small towns, they talk about the two Vermonts. They talk about the divisions between wealth and poverty. They talk about the need, um, the, the fact that people of color often feel um, disconnected or, um, or like, not included or worse mm -hmm. um, and oppressed and how fundamentally that's not okay. And, and, uh, and how having conversation to understand how and why that happens in our communities gives us a stronger opportunity to, to address those things in ourselves and in our policies and practices to make a more belonging place. And so uh, to, to me, like the interesting thing about the proposition is you could do this at any time in history, but we're doing it at a time of existential purposiveness, if you will. <laughs> and we're also doing it at a time where, you know, Vermont has modeled COVID solutions really brilliantly. We are doing a lot to model climate solutions. There's a big push like in, um, like in the Southern part of Vermont to say, how do we welcome people of color much more effectively into our communities as a way to, um, to answer some of our economic doldrums and our demographic issues. And what a historic moment this is to have this conversation. And even with all the pressure we've gone through and, and the challenge of COVID and the fear of climate change, 
what a great time to be alive, <laughs> you know, to be in this moment of purposiveness and to be able to make a difference. You know, we can make a difference if we believe and we line up and we trust each other a little more. We could be doing fabulous things. You have different periods of history, you know, that in, in the 1930s um, and after World War II with the, you know, with the GI Bill and stuff mm -hmm. and the war on poverty, much as it hasn't been completely fulfilled. Um, and there's, there's, you know, these propositions are also about the war on poverty. No, it does. It seems like we're in a moment where a um, very similar moment to those two moments you named where so very much is possible. So seize the day. Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's step up. Let's mm -hmm. step up as a people. Let's let's make the things that we talk about when we talk about the Vermont community real. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I'm so struck with is um, I've really appreciated the folks over the last few years who have been willing to come forward with courage to say this Vermont dream that you all are marketing isn't isn't real. The state is not exceptional. Hate does grow in the rocky soil, um, however you want to phrase it. And so when I think about this and how difficult that is to say in sort of the face of, you know, some of our stories mm -hmm. and what opportunity that gives us to really build community together when we're honest. And so I think about the Vermont proposition, these really sort of essential things for us to get done for our future and how how our values and our budget line up. Um, you know, there was a fairly successful grassroots movement a few years around, a few years ago around the people's budget right. um, or a moral economy or something like that. And that sort of, you know, faded into the background once sort of the reality of the budgeting came into play. And I see this Vermont proposition as a real another opportunity to ask the question about what does it mean to really invest in these things we care about and to make decisions, um, to make clear eyed decisions about those things. And so I'm really sort of curious and hopeful around the idea of all of this federal money we have coming in and using something like this as a way of really making those difficult decisions about what comes next and how we imagine um, strategic investment. So Emily, given some of the guidance, and I don't know if you've received all the guidance yet for these federal funds, can they be used for, for some of the things that uh, it, are, are part of the Vermont proposition right now? Absolutely. And we're already, um, you know, this budget that's going to pass any day already makes pretty significant investments in a lot of these categories. You know, we're, we've talked dozens of times probably on the show about um, what strategic investments in childcare and you know affordable accessible childcare looks like um, working lands and um, climate you know for climate change we're really sort of work waiting on the work of the climate council to tell us what to do next but I think we'll be ready for that next year um, and so we are making some of these investments because it's clear to so many of us that those are the investments that they have to make. It's the same reason those are the you know items that rose to the top on the Vermont proposition. Those are things that I think we can all easily agree on are where we need to invest. Um, and then we're going to have this next, you know, if the the Jobs Act is that what it's, that's not what it's called? Whatever the new ARPA. No, the thing after ARPA, the next one they're working on. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Is that called the Jobs Act? Did I invent that? 
I don't know. I think of it as the infrastructure money. Yeah. So the yeah. infrastructure, this it's like physical and social infrastructure bill, whatever they've decided to call that. Um, that is also going to be, you know, right in line with all of these items on the list as well. And so, you know, it's not just the ARPA and we have received that guidance now. Um, it's what it's, we're in a period of really tremendous expansion of federal spending and federal policymaking, which gives us so many opportunities to really dive in creatively and strategically on what Vermonters want. And so that's really, really exciting, especially when the money comes fast and furious to actually have a plan on the table to meet mm -hmm. it with. So great timing. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of timing, we are just about out of time for the show. So Paul, um, help, uh, help listeners know how can they join the summit on the 26th and 27th of, of this month? The best way is to go to www.futureofvermont.org. And there you'll see the summit. Um, you can go in, you can look at the propositions. You can go in to register for the summit. Um, you can see the speaker list. There's like 115 different speakers and moderators that are gonna be engaged in this process, including Emily, the speaker of the house and pro tem and mm -hmm. um, other key leaders from the legislature. Uh, and everyone's welcome and uh, you, it's you can pay $30, you can pay nothing, or you can make a contribution at whatever scale works for you. And um, we have some great sponsors for the event. And uh, we're looking for a, a very charged day, two days. We're also adding a, a storytelling feature at the end of the day on the second oh. day, instead of having someone come from outside of Vermont and tell how they've transformed their country or something, <laughs> we, we'd rather hear from Vermonters. And we also thought it would be nice to get off the policy track and just hear about people's lives. Um, so that that will be the closing. Um, but it should be a should be a great couple of days. We know with the Zoom medium that no one wants to be on for an eight hour or ten hour event. So we've got two afternoons in a row basically to to dig in and think about uh, strategies towards the future of Vermont. We we welcome everyone who who cares and wants to participate. Thank you, Paul. Emily, before we say goodbye to our listeners, do you have a toast for this week? I do. So this is the last week of the legislative session. Oh, um, right. All, all forces willing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's what follows is a period of such, um, such opportunity for reflection and emergence and next steps and really appreciate how deeply, Paul, you and your team have been thinking about exactly these things. And so um, to the idea that one, this is, I'm gonna to try to articulate this idea, but in springtime and post COVID, I think there's this push to just emerge screaming into the wilds and not stop running from there through the fields of wildflowers or into the arms of loved ones and parties. And I, for one, am hoping to take it slow enough that I can really sort of, you know, step out and then pause and reflect, um, whether that is in the garden or amongst friends and colleagues. And so to reflection and emergence simultaneously. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
Thank you, Paul Costello from the Vermont Council on Rural Development for joining us today. You can always find the Montpelier Happy Hour at 2 p.m. on Fridays on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station, as well as iTunes, our Facebook page. And Emily, where can folks find you? Folks can go to emilykornheiser.org where you can find connections to all my social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as my email address, phone number, and a link to the um, Zoom sign up for my community conversations that I host every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please join me there. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Paul. And have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks. Appreciate it.